0: Welcome to Allianz Talks. I'm John White, Senior Director, Global Clients at Allianz Global Corporate and Specialty. This is a new series which provides quick perspectives on current and emerging trends related to the insurance industry, one talk at a time. Today, we're talking about risk trends associated with the financial services industry we will address the ESG factor, environmental, social, and governance, cryptocurrencies, ransomware, and the ever-changing market. We're gonna do this all in about 20 minutes. So if you're watching or listening to this on your computer or phone, we hope you will find this short conversation both relevant and informative. So our experts today are Paul Chabone, Global Industry Solutions Director for Financial Services here at AGCS, and Peter Lefkin, Senior Vice President of Government and External Affairs in Washington, DC. Gentlemen, welcome to Allianz Talks.
1: Thank you, John.
0: Glad to have you. So Peter, we're gonna start with you. I'm gonna start with the Q&A. And Paul, you can feel free to jump in and comment as you see fit. So now let's talk about ESG, environmental, social, and governance. Most organizations can't develop a business strategy without addressing the ESG factor, whether it's exiting coal, which AGCS recently announced, climate change, sustainable solutions, or developing a more inclusive working environment. So Peter, what types of regulation changes and disclosures are we seeing in the new administration related to ESG? And also, I understand there are some critics who think we're moving a little too fast here. Can you uh, offer your comments and perspective on this?
2: Yeah, thank you, John, it's good to be here. And ESG has gotten a lot of attention and it's gotten attention even before this administration took place as investors, environmental groups, state legislators, and even businesses sort of came to realize, particularly on the climate change matter, That something needs to be done and they do so both because of the concerns about carbon emissions and also, frankly, the transformation from coal and oil to a more renewable energies is on its way. Not just because of the social reasons, but because of the fact that they become cost effective. And you found a lot of a transition moving away from coal and oil. We have the transition fuel of natural gas and nobody wants to get stuck with stranded assets. This is sort of all driving this. It's a confluence of events. It's social, it's political, but it's also economic. And President Biden has made climate change and you know, other elements of ESGs certainly social equity one of the key components of his administration. Uh, from day one, it's been out there. You recently, we, the United States re-entered the Paris Climate Accord. The president issued an executive order on climate-related financial risk instructing all the financial regulators to sort of examine this matter, come forward with recommendations and to take action the federal reserve has established two separate task forces dealing with climate change uh, one is a financial stability climate committee another one is a supervised supervision climate committee you get the point and we're also sort of seeing from other regulators including state insurance commissioners the securities and exchange commission and state securities regulators an element of Needs to be addressed in there and also this usually has come in the form of we want greater disclosure. Disclosure. tell us what you're doing. Tell us how how this impacts your financial institution and so forth. And through that, they hope to get both more information and the intended results of encouraging more efforts to sort of move away from carbon into renewables and other forms of clean alternative energy sources this nothing is without controversy um and anything that you're talking about major transformations much of it of course is market driven regardless of whether or not the government take, took action something would take place but there are some folks and there are some people business groups out there appropriately concerned that this disclosure requirement has become a naming and shaming exercise yeah and they are worried that using the disclosure requirements and requiring two affirmative disclosure requirements puts them at risk how do you quantify these things? What happens if they don't live up to expectations? There are a lot of scientific and economic and other variables at place. And given the aggressiveness of trial lawyers in the United States uh, and their and their past ability to bring lawsuits on a number of things when prospectuses and 401 uh, and 10Ks and others didn't live up to the expectations they might have for very small reasons. They're worried that disclosure could be an element not only to name and shame, but opportunity for them to be sure later on.
1: Yeah, I mean, John, just to jump in, look more disclosure requirements, clearly that's coming then you're going to have more litigation, right? And so the executives of all these financial services companies, particularly the banks, uh, they need to be prepared. Uh, more disclosure could also requirements leads to potential mishaps. You failed to disclose stuff. Peter's making a good point how much we need to disclose uh what's the consistency you know we saw uh over 1600 new laws and policies put in place 164 different jurisdictions one thing for sure they're all inconsistent so how does a company particularly a global company how do they manage all that uh you have uh activists uh now stepping out that they see that they have a newfound power and influence and they're going to use it they're going to use that on the hill when uh, as peter was saying with the new administration they're going to pressure the administration to get regulations or they're going to do it as uh, a third party uh, to bring a litigation, or they're going to be an investor and and try to force changes as much as we can. You know, in the past compliance in these areas, we saw it as more voluntary. It's going to now be mandatory. You've got to comply with all these different regulations over and over again. And, you know, for us as an insurer perspective, what's the risk mitigation? How do you, how do you, Kind of get around all this know that the disclosure is there you know identify all this esg risks have internal committees make sure people take it very seriously make sure the c-suite is involved when it's when you bring in diversity issues or environmental issues whatever they may be understand how it's going to all play out and make sure that you have a plan for these these inevitable regulations uh, look at things like green investments. We have uh, Allianz Global Investors as example. They have a, an area that's working with insurance companies, working with banks on how to invest in a green way. This is the sure. normal now. And this is right. what we have to right. take a look at.
0: So more scrutiny, corporate wise, more regulation, perhaps more litigation and don't overlook it, correct? Correct. Absolutely.
2: Okay. I mean, it's not just the federal government, but the states are taking actions, too, and California and New York are juggernauts.
0: All right. Okay, let's move on to our next topic, and it's a volatile one. Cryptocurrencies, uh, they're growing at an exponential rate and are emerging as an asset class of their own. How is the government regulating these new innovative technologies, and do they have enough influential power, power, and what is the central bank's position on this? Peter can you answer and Paul jump in as you see fit.
2: Yeah, they do this is a, it's an emerging area and it really has only recently has it come up. Well, in the last couple of years have the uh, federal authorities and state governments come to recognize some of the dangers that are inherent with these emerging new technologies particularly cryptocurrencies comes in several different forms. One you have a lot of people out there who are sitting at home right now, who are basically during COVID, who are looking for ways in which to be innovative in their financial abilities. They go to Robin Hood and all those type of things. And they're making sometimes very imprudent decisions. And they're being lulled into believing that all good markets last forever. And this is gonna be their chicken to becoming a millionaire by the time they're 27. Well, it doesn't work that way. Uh, so you have that. You also have the currencies themselves are unregulated. Uh, Therefore, they are used for all forms types of forms and nefarious purposes could be narco terrorism financing. It could be drug running could be fraudulent activities, fraudulent transfers. It could be tax evasion. You name it, these things can be there as they replace the traditional sources of banking, uh, which are regulated and which oftentimes serve as a watchdog to governmental authorities to protect. The government and to protect individuals against the type of wrongdoing that might occur in an alternative form of currency. So this is where they are right now. They are trying to sort of get their arms around this. Central bankers generally don't like this. Governments don't like this. Uh, and there's a variety of reasons for this, some of which is the traditional financial sector, which would be the banking and insurance and so forth. We're regulated, we have all types of things, we and we're allowed to do lots of different things one of the things that's sort of the mandate upon this is we often serve as a, an additional force for the, for the governments, federal and state, mostly federal, to keep your eye out there. We need to know our clients. Uh, we have to adhere to certain rules. If we see suspicious activities, we're required to report it. Our, our records are, can be monitored and so forth. So the ability for people to engage in fraud while using traditional financial instruments is somewhat limited. So this is why the government sort of got, has stepped in this one. They created a couple of years ago, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency within the Department of Homeland Security. And uh, this just getting going, but it's going to be as an emerging problem. It's growing in prominence. We've seen a number of things over in just recent weeks. We've seen the you know the government of the Irish healthcare system sort of being taken over and, and, and also uh, the Danish Central Bank or the Danish banking industry sort of having and having unleashed upon them some of these nefarious new technologies.
1: Yes. John, from an insurer's perspective with crypto, it's volatile, it's up, it's down. Elon Musk sends an email, it goes down, <laughs> it comes back up. So, from an insurer's perspective, it's very difficult to manage. You can't understand the risk necessarily, you can't price the risk, there's no yes. long term data. Um, so, right now, I see the markets generally holding back. There are a couple markets that will specialize. In crypto, cryptocurrencies, crypto marketplaces, but I think the more traditional uh, insurance companies have kind of stayed back a little bit. And unless the particular uh, account or the particular customer has very, very good security measures in place, because clearly this is an era where the criminals want to get in, they want to steal the bitcoins. They want, to, you know, is it a cold wallet? Is it a hot wallet? So it's it's something that is a bit wait and see. It is emerging. Insurance companies need to take notice. It's coming. Oh, but Peter, I think the other thing, right, is when they're going to digitalize normal currencies, right? When is right. the dollar going to be digitalized? The pound. I mean, this is all coming.
2: This is all coming. But there's also an element of restraint, Paul, because you have this. You know, China likes this. China has been one of the early adopters, and some people would say, well, that's a great thing. They're they're way ahead of us. Well, they're ahead of us because, frankly, in their society, they want to control everything. In our society, we have a healthy suspicion of the government and very strong concerns about our privacy. We certainly don't want nefarious activities, but we don't necessarily want the government looking at every, every element of our lives. And we sort of keep them away. We have a, that, that tension, which exists and always will exist. So this, uh, that's, that's occurring there. And that's the concern that exists in the United States. Do you take this route? And if you take this route, there's 2 things that occur occur 1, you have privacy concerns. And then if you are a conservative, you're wondering also, um, you know, where this, how does this allow government to intrude upon business activities? Or will this displace private marketplaces? Uh, And we can't answer that question right now.
0: So emerging difficult to quantify better watch it because it isn't going away more (laughs) to come. Very much. So. Yes. Good summary. Okay, thank you on that. Okay, this is going to pivot very nicely into our next topic, which is top of mind for the buyers and the distributors of our product. Ransomware. We saw cyber attacks increase over 200%. And as a result, ransomware attacks are increasing in frequency and severity with large ransom demands, hackers stealing sensitive data and threatening to publish it online if ransoms are not paid. So, what type of regulations are in place for these incidents? Peter, can I throw that to you first?
2: Yeah, sure. There is some. Uh, they just um uh, actually just last year in October, there was the ORF Office of Foreign Assets Control. So mm-hmm. this was established sort of after 2011 to so sort of keep an eye on things that are being purchased in this country and activities being per- taking place in this country. They basically have a, they issued a, a guidance and regulation that says that. Any ransomware payment to sanctioned entities would be in violation of federal law. Um, probably is, but that's not stopping people from paying. It's just given the ramifications of it. There is now a variety of task forces and, and uh, within the federal government and also bringing in state governments addressing this matter. The 2, most recent examples, uh, colonial pipeline and JBJ, the yes. meat company really created disruptions and uh, you know, and massive. You know, massive dislocation, I stood in my 1st gasoline line since 1979 exactly. and it uh, waited about 20 minutes uh, to fill up my car. So that, that, that got a lot of attention and also calls into attention as we have sort of seen. Other institutions, including the Irish health authorities have had to pay ransomware. So have a number of municipalities. they so have a no, number of healthcare providers and so forth. It's a priority that's probably going to it's going to be hard to be undone. And you also have the nefarious enterprises of non-U.S. actors right now, mostly coming from Russia, but probably coming from other places as well, who are breaking into the system.
1: Yeah, I mean, cyber attacks have been an issue, John, for a very long time, you know, but now we're seeing them even increase exponentially, particularly during the pandemic. Over 200% increase in cyber attacks, 80% of financial services companies reporting an increase in cyber attacks. As you said, ransomware attacks being the number one issue. You know, and this isn't just, you know, collecting data and selling it, which of course sure. is this is what people want, but it's also the threat of shutting you down. This is what we saw with the pipeline. We're seeing this with some insurance companies, and they want that ransom. So, you know, business interruption has become a major component of cyber now and cyber insurance and selling cyber along with the ransomware. The regulators are now becoming more aggressive with their enforcement, higher fines and regulatory costs are going up. Uh, looking at uh, resiliency plans, both pre event, post event. They want to know if the companies are prepared. They want to know if the CISO is ready. Our advice to many of our insurers is, look, there's a new technologies. These are new risks. Know that you know you're a target, particularly in the financial services area, which traditionally has spent a lot of money, to be honest, in getting prepared these hackers are becoming even more sophisticated. So keep putting sure. the investment in. You've got to train your employees. The weakest link that we have found is your employees, particularly now everybody's been home. Everybody's on their own computer, their own B- VPN networks, the training, training, training of the technology, making sure people aren't getting uh, scammed with uh, fake president emails or fake HR emails, they click a button or click a the link, yeah. they release something into the, <clears throat> excuse me, into, uh, into the system. So make sure the employees are part of your cyber team, your quote cyber team, right? Uh, be prepared, make sure you're, you're checking with your peers. What are your peers doing? How are they being prepared for all this? And uh, be prepared for the business interruption, not just your own, but also those companies that you rely upon. In, the, in your supply chain, if they go down. You know, we look at cloud computing as a major, this is a major threat to cloud. If a cloud computer uh, company goes down, this is systemic risk globally. So insurers are very nervous about this as well, but know your target, be prepared, safeguard your data. Uh, you know, Peter, the, the issue keeps coming up and I'd love to hear your opinion about The Hill, about ransomware, right? Everybody says, well, we shouldn't be paying these ransomwares and cyber policies. This is what's prompting these type of attacks. And I was wondering if you've heard anything recently about any type of legislation that may be coming out uh, or at least <laughs> proposed.
2: They have lots of legislation all directed at cybersecurity and probably prohibitions on paying ransomware. But frankly, you're finding the affected companies, including, including and state and local governments are paying it. Uh, the cost of not doing so is just too great. Uh, yep. They're going to try to work to corral it that way. They will try to work to make sure that um, Bitcoin and other cyber currencies don't become the realm of circulation, although that's also a difficult one. And they're putting in a bunch of experts. Uh, they have a new head of the, uh, it is the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency, really bright guy, uh, Christopher Krebs. He's made this a high priority, high priority retirement of treasury, but it's, not, it's easier said than done. And we're not the only nation, of course, doing this, though. We're... Other nations are also being similarly afflicted the question really is Is are our science uh, IT people are they smarter than others? How do you create walls? How do you promote a con- 1 of the other elements is Paul talked about is you need to make businesses accountable. You need to make sure that the colonial pipelines and the JBSs in the world have better technology. Can they prevent this from occurring? Oh, and undoubtedly, they're probably all doing evaluations that they were probably somewhat deficient as all companies would be because we'd really, we need to sort of build up the resiliency of, of a business to be able to fight and, and governments to be able to fight back.
0: It needs to be front and center for all buyers of our products and working with their brokers to want to, to examine that risk. And as Paul, as you mentioned, prevention is the most important thing working from home. Everybody's VPN. Uh, everybody's different VPN or different systems being easily hacked is really, really uh, increasing these exposures. So good talk on ransomware. So I'm gonna go to our last and final topic here. Let's talk about the market. <laughs> to talk about the
2: market. What's
0: happening, what's going on? How long is this gonna last and what can I expect? And we've got some experts here that might give us their expert opinion, that are gonna give us their expert opinion. So. It's been, you know, gentlemen, it's been a significant hard market for the last 12 to 18 months. Insurers are starting to see a shift following an opportunity, allowing an opportunity for growth. So pivot to growth. Uh, what are some of the market trends we can look forward to? A, do you foresee an increase in growth via alternative risk solutions in the financial services industry? B, so what are some of the trends? And you see, you know, hey, this is costing too much. Let's go to alternative risk markets. Gentlemen, can you comment on that? Paul, why don't you go first with this? Because you're our financial services expert. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks, John. Yeah. So, yes,
1: we've gone through a significant hard market. The, The interesting thing with the financial services area is generally there's not huge peaks and valleys because the state's fairly consistent. But even with that in place, it has been a hard market. Uh, Capacity has been reduced. So instead of putting up 25 million companies, put it up maybe 10 million or 15 million. Uh, So more selective in the industry. So managing the portfolio, as we say, rather than a stock picker, you're you're a portfolio manager, so that that will continue. I think the prices will continue to stabilize, but the capacity, I do not see companies jumping back in and, and automatically overnight increasing from 10 back up to 25. I think the capacity level will stay about the same. So this would be for the more general market. The one market to watch is cyber. We just talked about cyber. That market is now going into a hard market. So you will see rates increases. Yes, you will see deductibles, co-insurance clauses that are put on policies, particularly around ransomware. You're going to see limits coming down. You're going to see more selective underwriting. So cyber is yet to really get into that hard market. But there is a pivot to growth, John. It's a, very, it's a great way of saying it. Uh, Alliance as well. You know, it is time. We, you know, companies have uh, remediated their books. They've looked at areas that weren't performing. They've cleaned those up. It's now time to get back in the market and making sure that we're in the exact, not just the industry, but the portion of the industry that is profitable. That we know that we have excellence in underwriting and that we can perform better there. So I think the market will continue to change, but you'll see more selective underwriting from the carriers uh particularly the financial services area
0: the alternative risk side do you see a, yes. a shift over there is I you do. know the standard markets are like cutting back on capacity we got some new emerging capital out there you see a more more moving there absolutely
1: so we've seen that over the past year it will continue so this is more use of captives more use of alternative risk transfer, so you know, multi-year, multi-line policy structured deals. This has all come into play because as you said, John, very well, that the price of the insurances are going up, or the, the companies cannot get the limits that they want. So they're trying to find alternative ways. So this will continue. And I think this is this was very good for that market. The you know going through the the COVID and going through the hard market because I think companies looked at this area again. That they will continue sure. to the space. And it will continue to grow. Absolutely.
0: Sure. So I'd be remiss if I didn't say, you know, from an alternative risk transfer standpoint, you know, we have uh, many experts in many different areas there, fronting and you know, captives uh, working with with uh, the, our clients' captives. So, um, uh, Peter, have you uh, anything to add on how you see it uh, uh, in terms of the market?
2: Yeah, I, well, I, Paul is certainly the expert, but I could just sort of, sure. I, what I, I'm sort of undersea, what I'm seeing is probably a greater appreciation for the more traditional uh, financial intermediaries, banks and insurance companies and so forth. Some of the, you know, you have seen a number of the private hedge funds, private equity firms are running into difficulties right now. These are the people who sort of offer an opportunity for the future, but now people are beginning to wonder, will they be there for that future? Sure. And I would sort of, I anticipate a little bit of a retreat away from some of the esoteric elements of people who've been financing alternative risk, going back to the traditional insurance marketplace, where both not only our clients, but our brokers also feel more comfortable.
0: Sure. So at least the market from a financial services standpoint, yeah, prices kind of stabilizing, not a big jump back in for added capacity, at least from your standard markets. They're still looking to reduce volatility and um, you know those types of things. So you're not going to see a big, big pushback in, in terms of l- push into the market in terms of limits moving forward. But um, and then on the uh, certainly on the cyber side uh, hardening as we speak uh, really, really starting to tighten up there. So which is normal, probably given some of the recent high profile yeah. incidents that have been happening and some of the big claims. So uh, great conversation. So Peter, Paul, Thank you so much for taking time to join me. Um, I know we we could probably talk about this stuff for hours, but (laughs) given us, you've given me some interesting feedback related to changes in legislation as it relates to the ESG factors and cryptocurrencies. We talked about ransomware and the ever-changing market. And we did this all in a very short format. So thank you once again. Thank you, John. Thank you, you, Peter. Sure, sure. And to our audience, if you would like to learn more, please visit our website to download the Allianz Risk Trends Report at agcs.allianz.com. Thank you all for listening to Allianz Talks, where we tackle today's insurance industry concerns, one talk at a time. So uh, until the next time, I'm John White. Thank you.